The first lesson is a reading from Deuteronomy. So now, Israel, give heed to the statutes and ordinances that I am teaching you to observe, so that you may live to enter and occupy the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. You must neither add anything to what I command you, nor take away anything from it, but keep the commandments of, your, of the Lord your God with which I am charging you. You must observe them diligently, for this will show your wisdom and discernment to the peoples, who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, surely this, is, this great nation is a wise and discerning people. For what other great nation has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is whenever we call to him? And what other great nation has statutes and ordinances as just as this entire law that I am setting before you today. But take care and watch yourselves closely, so as neither to forget the things that your eyes have seen, nor to let them slip from your mind all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. The word of the Lord. The second reading is a reading from James. Every generous act of giving and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In fulfillment of his own purpose, he gave us birth by the word of truth, so that we would become a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore, rid yourselves of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness, and welcome with meekness an implanted word that has the power to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror. For they look at themselves and on, and on going away immediately forget what they were like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty and persevere, being not hearers who forget but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. If any think they are religious and do not bridle their tongues but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep one unsustained, oneself unsustained by the world. The word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel is written in the seventh chapter of Mark's Gospel. Stand as you are able. Now when the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him, they noticed that some of his disciples were eating with defiled hands, that is, without washing them. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they thoroughly wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. And they do not eat anything from the market unless they wash it. And there are also many other traditions that they observe. The washing of cups, pots, and bronze kettles. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, 
Why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? He said to them, Isaiah prophesied rightly about you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. You abandon the commandment of God and hold to human tradition. Then he called the crowd again and said to them, listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going in can defile, but the things that come out are what defile. For it is from within, from the human heart, that evil intentions come, fornication, theft, murder, adultery, avarice, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, envy, slander, pride, folly. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, it's a joy for me to be here with you. I think I've preached from this pulpit about three times over the past 10 years or so. Uh, I retired about 11 years ago after serving 35 years at Good Shepherd Lutheran in Salinas. Came there as a young man and left as no longer a very young man at all. <laughs> and then moved down in retirement down to Lake Nascimento near Paso Robles. Have a wonderful place to live there, a wonderful, quiet place, a great place to retire. In fact, a lot of my neighbors are retirees from all over, mainly Southern California. Uh, but I have a, a super special, and at the same time, sad memory from being with you because it was uh, October of 2016 that I was here with my wife, Joyce, and as it turned out, it was the very last worship service in a church that she was able to be a part of. Because on the way home from here, after a little time, uh, of course, doing a little shopping uh, in town, uh, on the way home, she took ill and uh, turned out to be very, very serious cancer that had been growing much longer than we could have ever, ever imagined. And uh, on Christmas Eve of that same year, 2016, I had to send my dear wife, Joyce, on to heaven. So since this was her last place to be with people of God in a community of worship, this is a very special place, so that makes you folks special to me as well. Well, we all know that change is hard. We like routine. We like things to stay the same, especially when so many things seem to be changing so fast. But sometimes we need to change. Sometimes tradition can stand in the way of progress. Some old things need to go to make way for the new. 
because some, sometimes there is a new and better way. There are some funny stories about traditions. Pastor Pete Contra tells about a small church in upstate New York. They'd had a pastor in that church for 35 years. He was loved by the church and by the community. After he retired, he was replaced by a young pastor. It was his first call, and he wanted to do well. He had only been in that church about three weeks when he began to notice that people were upset at him. He was troubled. He called aside one of the lay leaders in the congregation and said, I don't know what's wrong, but I have a feeling that there is something wrong. The man said, well, pastor, you're right. I hate to say it, but it's the way you do the communion service. The way I do the communion service? What do you mean, asked the pastor. Well, it's not so much what you do, it's what you leave out, said the layman. I don't think I leave anything out of the communion service, the young pastor said. Oh, yes, you do, the layman replied. Just before our previous pastor served the chalice, he'd always go over and touch the radiator. Touch the radiator, said the young pastor. I never heard of that in the liturgical tradition. So the young pastor called the former pastor and said, I haven't been here a month and I'm in trouble. In trouble? What's the trouble, said the older pastor. Well, it has something to do with communion, something to do with touching the radiator. Could it be possible? Did you do that? Oh, yes, I did, said the former pastor. I touched the radiator to discharge the static electricity so I wouldn't shock them. <laughs> For 35 years, the people of that congregation thought that touching the radiator was a part of the holy tradition. So that church got the name of being the Church of the Holy Radiator. <laughs> well, in our gospel story this morning, some scribes and Pharisees came up to Jesus and asked him, why don't your disciples touch the radiator before they eat? Oh, well, not exactly that, but they said, why don't your disciples observe the tradition of washing their hands before they eat. And the washing they were referring to was not washing for physical cleanliness. It's good hygiene to wash your hands before you touch food. I'm sure you're glad we pastors, even before COVID hit, would usually clean our hands just before we served communion. And communion assistants always did the same. I'm sure you're glad that we do that. But the washing of hands that these people were criticizing Jesus' disciples for was a ritual washing of hands and pots and pans. It was part of the ritual that had its roots in God's instructions in the book of Leviticus. But Jesus came down hard on the scribes and Pharisees when they criticized his disciples for not observing the details of the ritual washing. Jesus came down hard on them because they were majoring in the minors. They were focusing on outward details and missing what was really important. They were missing the main point of religion. 
They were missing the heart of religion. Jesus could see their hearts. He could see that God didn't have their hearts. So Jesus quoted the prophet Isaiah and said, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. There are a lot of things that we could talk about in this. We don't have any time to deal with all of them. But I think the main point is that our faith and our worship is a matter of the heart, not a matter of what's on the outside, not a matter of which church we go to or which liturgy we follow, not a matter of how we look on the outside. It's a matter of the heart. All that really matters is that our heart belongs to God. None of us can see a person's heart. And that's why God tells us not to judge another person's heart. The scribes and Pharisees couldn't see the hearts of Jesus' disciples. They couldn't see how the disciples had left everything behind to follow Jesus. They couldn't see how the disciples were devoting their lives to Jesus. They couldn't see how the disciples were growing in their understanding of the kingdom of God. They couldn't see the faith that was growing in the hearts of the disciples. All they could see was the dirt on the disciples' hands. I'll never forget a youth Sunday back in Golden Valley, Minnesota, where I served as a youth pastor. The youth had been in charge of the service this day. They had presented a musical worship service that they had been working on for months. The youth had done the readings, led the prayers, served as ushers, and they had done a great job. But my heart sank when I received a call from a woman in the congregation the next morning. This woman apparently hadn't seen the faith and love shining on the faces of the youths. And of course she couldn't see the hearts of those kids, but could only see that one of the girls who had served as an usher had carried up the off offering to the altar in her bare feet. This woman actually judged that girl and spread her judgment to the whole group and said to me, I don't think those kids meant what they were singing. If they had, they wouldn't come into the sanctuary barefooted. She had no right to judge my youth because she couldn't see their hearts. Remember the story of David being chose to be king by God while he was but a shepherd boy? His seven older brothers, each one eager to be chosen to be king, had all passed before the prophet, and God said through the prophet, none of these have I chosen. Why did God choose David instead of one of his older and stronger brothers? 
We read about it in 1 Samuel 15. The Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. God could see David's heart. God could see that David was a man after God's own heart. And you can see that love of God in David's heart when you read the psalm where he says, The Lord is my shepherd. David looked to God for guidance as a sheep looks to its shepherd for guidance. And God guided David in ruling God's people. It was God's heart that ruled the people through David. And the result was that David ruled his people with justice and fairness and compassion. So many times power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely, but power did not corrupt David because God was in David's heart. You and I can't see into a person's heart when we're talking to a salesperson, I've had this experience more than once, we don't know if that salesperson cares about us, if that person cares about God, or if that person just cares about himself and getting his or her commission. But God can see that person's heart. But if God is in our heart, we respect that salesperson and love that salesperson simply because we know that that is a person created in the image of God and we want the, the best for them. As people who have given our hearts to God, we want God's love to be at the center of our heart. We want to love our neighbor as ourself. We want to treat, treat all people with respect. There is good in the world because God is good. And when God gets into a person's heart, good comes out. But as Jesus said, horrible evil comes out of a heart that hasn't been claimed and redeemed by God. I want to digress a little from my main theme this morning. My main theme is that Jesus proclaimed a gospel of God's love not a book of ritual details. And that David was a great leader because he ruled with a heart that was molded by God into a heart of compassion. But both David and Jesus also sometimes displayed tough love. Remember how Jesus got angry and drove the money changers out of the temple? And remember how David got very tough with the giant Goliath. <laughs> Jesus didn't sweet talk the money changers in the temple, and David didn't sweet talk Goliath. He knocked him over with a stone from his slingshot, and then he seized the giant's sword and cut off his head. For both Jesus and David, there was a time for peace and a time for war. And in terms of great leaders, there must be love, but sometimes love must be tough. And leaders need both the love of God and the wisdom of Solomon. And so our hearts go out to all the Americans and Afghans, fearing for their lives 
behind enemy lines in Afghanistan. We pray that our president and his cabinet will have both the heart of David and the wisdom of Solomon to do whatever tough love it will take to bring our Americans and our allies home safely. In closing, all we can do for the situation in Afghanistan is pray. But right here, right now, we can offer our hearts to God and pray that the love of Jesus will flow into our hearts and then flow out from us to everyone around us. I want to close with the words, maybe I'll even sing these words, a song that is found in our camp songbook from El Camino Pines. So, of course, it's one that the youth love to sing because it seems like two-thirds of the people at El Camino Pines are youth. I've been there a couple of times, had a great time singing around campfires, singing wonderful songs about faith in Jesus and growing in his love. So maybe you know these words, too. If you do, sing through your mask with me. <clears throat> Change my heart, O oh God, make me ever true. Change my heart, O oh God, may I be like you. You are the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me, this is what I pray. Change my heart, O oh God, make me ever true. Change my heart, O oh God, May I be like you.